With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Welcome to Small Business Digest on Blog Talk Radio. Now entering its fifth year, this show is hosted by Don Mazella, Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Each week, he brings you advice and information from experts and small business leaders like yourself. Each show is designed to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas from authors, experts, and small business leaders, just like most of the individuals who make up our audience. Whenever possible, Small Business Digest tests the products and services featured on the show to ensure they are of a quality to help listeners grow their small business. Guests do not pay to appear, but are chosen for their ability to provide ideas and suggestions to improve operations, expand marketing, reduce cost, enable better personnel management, and add profits. Remember, all of our shows are archived at www.blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. You can hear this show and all others at your leisure. If you like what you hear, tell others about the program. If you have a question or suggestion, email us at editor at is-incorp.com. Should you want to join us on this program during our live hour each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, dial 646-929-2337. That's editor at is-incorp.com or 646-929-2337. We're only as good as our guest and audience make us. We're particularly happy today. We have a very unusual guest. Kathy Colby joins us. She she's developed something that uh, that I uh, uh, I don't know how to explain it. I'm going to ask her to, but I I took the test and I found it fascinating how accurate it was. Kathy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Don. Before we go any further, tell us a little bit about your personal background, then how you developed your your program, and go on from there. Well, first of all, I grew up in an environment where my dad, whose name was Wunderlich, was always talking about testing and about human behavior and factors. And some of you may know the Wunderlich personnel test from having to use it to get a job. And there's a time in America when it was hard to get a job in any major corporation without taking it. In the NFL, they're now using it in selecting some of the players. What I kept asking my dad was, but why is this test only about how smart you are and how you answer questions about reading and math? And I don't see what that has anything to do with how you take action. And he said, yeah, well, I've written my test, and it was a breakthrough. There was nothing like it. It was the first test used in selection. And that was great, but I just kept saying, but Dad, but Dad. And finally he said, Kathy, 
we don't know how to measure what you're talking about. We don't know even exactly what is that other thing is all about. Why don't you go figure that out? I've done my life work. You go do yours. He's saying this to me when I'm seven, eight years old. So that's exactly what I did. I kept trying to figure out what made people tick that had nothing to do with your intelligence or your personality. And I knew there was something else. And I worked in education. I've taught from preschool through university level. I've consulted with businesses. I've been studying people in all kinds of situations all my life. And I finally realized the patterns of how people act or their modus operandi is tied to their instincts. It's natural. You're born with it. It is what makes you who you are. And I figured out what the four instincts were behind it, the four basic patterns, and then all of the combinations therein, and put together a way of assessing it and then being able to explain people how to use it. Well, go, go, go continue. So, so you developed, and what is, what is it you developed, and how, how does it work? What I developed, I found, should be called something having to do with instincts or conation because it, it, I already had the test, which I called the if, or if I ever figure out what I'm measuring, because I knew it had to be a part of the mind and probably a part of the brain. I have found through my own brain research and working with 24 different universities that it stems from the part of the brain which is called the conative. C-O-N-A-T-I-V-E. Very different from cognitive intelligence. It is what triggers our mental energy. So I created the Colby Index, which indexes or takes a um, sample from questions you ask that have no right or wrong answers, but the pattern I see in it has an algorithm that identifies the degree to which you are either a specialist or a generalist, that's one mode, or whether you're a sequential organizer or one who kind of throws it to the wind and finds it when you can, or the, the third one of those instincts is how much you are comfortable with and seek risk or take on challenges, time, deadlines, that kind of thing. And the fourth characteristic or what I call action mode is how you deal with the physical world around you, tangibleness, tactile things. So those are the five general areas I found that go into all creative problem solving. In running a small business, we have to have all those things handled, and it can't be just our way. So what I found is if I could measure a small business person's MO, an entrepreneur, and I was very interested in this, because I was one. I was doing this all on my own. I got no money from anywhere, no research grants, because no one ever heard of conation and they didn't have any money set aside to study it. I was on my own. Couldn't take any classes in universities in it because no one knew anything about it. So as I began this very lonely, in-depth search about conation, I found that my friends who were CEOs understood that they had to come up with people on their teams who weren't like them, but brought differing abilities. And it wasn't how smart they were. 
It was how much they could either do the research or they could design the systems or they could go sell. So I started categorizing different kinds of jobs in the workplace according to the MO that went with them. And that has led to my developing not only the Colby Index, but the APT career program that assesses what's just the perfect fit for you with careers. I have a plethora of tools and training programs now, and people in over 200 countries around the globe, uh, now it's just a huge enterprise. But it still comes back to that basic, who are we and how do we do our best work? Well, okay, now you've got this. Now, tell us a little bit about the program. And for instance, I took it. You asked me a series of questions. Let's first talk about how you came up with the questions and go from there. Okay. It took me about eight years to find just the right questions and to put them with the right algorithm. The questions all are for the user to decide what they would most or least likely do if they were totally free to be themselves. This is not what you were taught to do. It's not what you think you should do. It is who are you when you're free? What are you able to do? You pick the most and least. And I started with 100 questions, well, actually 200 questions. I narrowed it down to 100 that worked, but then I had to find the 100 I could put in a pattern that would give me the correct answers or insights. I also wanted to keep it simple. I wanted to make it a very short, don't have to spend more than 15 minutes on it. So I ended up with 36 questions you pick your most and least in their everyday situations. It fits for anybody. So whether you're a nuclear scientist, I've done this with astronauts. I've done this with Hollywood actors. I've done it with governors and congressmen. I've done it with religious leaders. It doesn't matter who you are. Every single human being of any age can do this. We have a youth version and an adult version. So you, you spend less than 15 minutes. You pick what you would most or least do. You do it online at colby.com. You get your answer within seconds. And for the rest of your life, it won't change because our instincts are the one thing that persists in us. They are the core of who we are. So they're not going to change. You, my friend, are a flaming entrepreneurial quick start. On a scale of one to nine or to ten, you're a nine in quick start. There are very, very few people who are nines in any of the modes. We find that where we get eights and nines in quick start, those people are probably doing something through communication, through entrepreneurialism, small businesses. They're taking a risk in some way. They're selling something. And they're very good at doing it through speaking. That's the spoken word. The written word, backfinder, again, measured on a one to ten, you are a four. So what I know about you is you're going to call me up and tell me what you want me to do. You're not going to send me a lengthy written thing. 
unless a staff person did it for you. So you'll summarize and you'll give it to me in bullet points. And this is so helpful when we know each other, because if you're leading a small business and you ask a very bright person who you hired to write something for them, and they have less than a five in fact finder, they simply aren't going to be great at doing that. And you've wasted a lot of money paying them to do it. When what you should do is either farm it out to someone who is a fact finder and every one of my vendors takes the Colby. I, I know what they're good at. We know that some people get in the wrong career. So it's not how many years have you done it. It's what's your, what's your Colby? Are you a natural at it? Most newspaper writers are fact finder and then have quite a bit of quick start because they have deadlines. Magazine writers have a lot more fact finder without as much quick start because they don't have to write on short deadlines. TV and radio people are the spoken word. You're in front of the microphone. So that's where you're great. That it's not surprising you're doing a podcast. Most of the people with whom I do podcasts are eights or more in quick start. Now, on that scale of one to ten, I'm sure it was no surprise. Are you married? Yes. Okay. Your wife probably got a big kick out of it when she read your results because it confirms what she thought about you. There's no pile of anything that you're going to organize in a way where she could find anything in it. I mean, you're just, you don't put things in sequential order. You don't file. It's, you got stacks all over the place, right? You're very, Kathy, you're very accurate. My problem, my wife is very meticulous and does things meticulously, and I'm a, a very much of a scatter type. And we, we are having great difficulties uh, reconciling the two uh, at times. Well, I got a suggestion for you. We can fix all this and actually make it kind of fun. Has she also taken the Colby yet? I'm sorry? She needs to take the Colby if she hasn't yet. And when she gets her result and you get yours, that would both be Colby A's, then you can ask our system to give you a Colby A to A report. And what it does, and I read every word of every result, I individualize for the results and say, don't even think about asking your wife to do the spokesperson if she's not the quick start. And she shouldn't even think about trying to make you into an organized person. It, it says not only who you are, but tells you what to do about it with humor. And I was at dinner last night with a couple where the woman was the 10 in quick start. Her husband, who was a federal judge, is a nine in fact finder. They're opposites. He's the fact finder resistant to quick start. She's the quick start resistant to fact finder. They've been friends for decades. And they said, you know, we, we cannot tell you how often we have laughed about the fact that we used to get so mad at each other and try to change each other. And then we met you and did the Colby. And then we found out, well, that's kind of fun that you're so different. And I would say to this very, very brilliant judge, how much fun would you have in your life without her doing goofy things? And he would say, well, that's true. She's the, she's the one who gets us into the stuff. 
does the things I would never think about doing, just says, oh, come on, let's try it. And then I say to her, and would you be in debtor's jail or wherever they send people who don't even remember to pay their taxes? And she says, and by the way, he has final follow here also. She says, oh, yeah, he, he keeps me out of really bad trouble. Now, one of my favorite stories about her, <clears throat> excuse me, is several years ago she knew I was a big gardener and she said, Kathy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a wonderful thing. I am going to get hundreds of tulips and plant them throughout my yard. It's going to be just glorious. They live up in the mountains in Arizona. It's going to be so beautiful. Talked him into, uh, okay, honey, go ahead, plant your tulips. She spent days doing it. Came tulip time, and there wasn't a single bloom. And so they were asking me, what could have gone wrong? And I knew her MO. I knew she wasn't a fact finder. She wouldn't have read the directions. She's not a follow-through. She wouldn't have looked at the pictures of how to do it. She just did it, and sure enough, she planted hundreds of tulips upside down. Now, Kathy, let me, Kathy, Kathy, let me interrupt you. Please tell um, our audience. I've got three people. What's your website? How did they reach you? Please. Uh, I've had three emails to that already. Okay, folks, just go to Colby, K-O-L-B-E dot com. And there's a link to take the Colby Index right on the home page. After you've taken it, then there's a link to take you to the Colby A, and there's a link to take you to the career, apt career. There's so many things you can do once you know who you are. You don't have to plant the tulips upside down. You ask your husband to read the directions if he's the fact finder. And he doesn't have to get mad at her. He can laugh and say, well, honey, I'm investing in the fun times with you. And we can laugh the rest of our life about the upside down tulips. I mean, it just changes the dialogue. Well, you know, um, Kathy, you've you've raised so many issues, I don't even know where to start. But I'm going to tell you that, uh, to my wife's credit, she hasn't tried to change me. She has reached the point of being, after all these years, she has reached of being exasperated with me, with my various uh, <laughs> uh, um, uh, phobias. And when I uh, took your test, I, I looked at it, I, I realized that I'm going to have her take the, t- the test because uh, she, she is the polar opposite of me in, in so many things, not yeah. even funny. Um, uh, we managed yeah, to success. You first, Kathy. I was going to say, one of the things that just kept touching my heart was all the spouses who had these differences and didn't know why or how to handle it. And then raising kids and you think they're going to be just like you and can come into the family business and do it just the way you did it. And this is not genetic. Our kids, it's kind of a flip of the coin whether they're going to be like you, like your wife, or neither. So that's why with my stepdaughter, of all things, I mean, it's so interesting and ironic that my stepdaughter and I have just written a book called Business is Business, and it's tips and tricks for how to use my work in running family businesses and being in a family business and changing the dialogue. Instead of do this, don't do that, it's be who you are, come into the business 
in a role that suits you, not in a role that the myths say, oh, all wives are follow-throughs. No, there are as many follow-through males as females. So every wife should not be the bookkeeper. Every husband should not be the salesperson or the strategist. Every oldest son should not be the one who's going to take over the business. I was the baby in the family of four kids. There, in my generation, there was no thought that I would ever run the Wonderlick business. My older brother was going to do that, and I knew that when I was four years old. I never contemplated that I would put myself in the role of working for my brother. He was very different cognitively, is very different in affect, social styles. And I, I was a crusader in causes where I wasn't going to be told by anybody else what I could or couldn't say. So anyway, I had to start my own business, but I couldn't do it alone. And over the years, I've brought family into it. My husband's worked in the business for 18 years. Now, I've turned the business as the founder over to my son and stepdaughter. The book is all about how to work with family members and doing it right. So it's fun and it's energizing and it's worthwhile to have the struggles. We've got all kinds of rules in this book that it was just a a moral imperative that we write it because we'd figured out kind of everything we could do wrong, we did wrong. And we figured out what not to do, and we have over 3,000 family business clients. So we know now what works, and we put it all in this book. The name of the book and how people can get it? The book is Business is Business by Colby and Bruski, B-R-U-S-K-E. You can get it at Amazon. Just go right to Amazon and go to Business is Business and you can buy it today. It's also in most bookstores. It's funny. I just watched briefly The Godfather last night, and always the line keeps coming up. It's just business. Um, (laughs) And, you know, but uh, um, Kathy, as we wind down now, um, we have an audience that's made up primarily of uh, presidents and or owners of small business. What are the things that you ask them? Um, you you uh, ask or uh, them, and and uh, you feel are important um, that you from your experience in in terms of this. If you're running a business and you're not having fun, if it's drudgery, if you're finding it creates problems in your family, if you're finding it's just, you feel like you're working against your grain, you're, you know, nothing feels really right or good, or at least not enough of the time, read business is business because we know how that happens. We know that it is likely to happen if you get into either hiring the wrong people. You don't need more of you. You need people to do what you don't do naturally. So they fill in your gaps and free you up to be at your best. You want to wake up every day with the freedom to be yourself. And if you're not getting that by running a business, 
then you really need to read this book and figure out how simple it is to turn that around. It's really easy. Hmm. And it, it's like some people say, well, it's magic. Well, it isn't magic. It's part of our brain. We've, we've done the research, but it's there for you now to use so that it's fun to get up in the morning and go to work. Hmm. You know, it's funny, Kathy, you're mentioning that. Many years ago, I was asked to help a, a private school that was in trouble. And at the time, I was teaching at Fairleigh Dickinson University on a graduate level. And I had in my class a man, when I asked him what he did, he said, he had just re retired from uh, running the Allied Chemical Agricultural Division with over 800 employees. So I thought about him and I said, uh, would, Homer, would you like to come over and help the school? Well, within uh, a year and a half, he had taken the school from a deficit into a, a, a very profitable uh, situation. And I, but I said, Homer, I asked them, um, you know, you went from running all these people to literally just one person. He said, oh, you know what, Don, I'm having fun. And I, I never forgot that, you know, and uh, it's been a long time since someone's brought it up as, as well as you have. Well, it's, it's the joy of my life to help people find joy in their lives. And we all have this perfect, absolutely wonderful set of instincts. When we find outlets for them, whether it's in profit or nonprofit, education, business, government, when we find our niche, that's when there's this great glory of being able to contribute to the world. And I think there's a deep-seated need inside all of us to make a difference in the world. And every one of your listeners who isn't doing that right now today can start doing it by the end of the day. Well, um, uh, Kathy, I want to thank you for being with us. Your website again? It's Colby, K-O-L-B-E dot com. And the book is Business is Business. Go to Amazon to get it. Well, th thank you, Kathy Col Colby, for being with us, and uh, uh, I, uh, I certainly learned a lot from your your uh, uh, program, and uh, hopefully uh, uh, our audience did as well. Thank you so much. You're so welcome, Don. All the best. Our next guest is Bruce Masterson. He's co-founder and CEO of Respect, a service re-imaging home care and ha helping senior uh, age gradually. Bruce, welcome to the program. Thank you, Don. Appreciate it. Well, I'm, I'm, I read it wrong. It should be seniors age. Uh, um, we're going to get into it. Uh, we always ask our uh, guess first to say a little bit about themselves personally before we talk about anything else. So tell us a little bit more about uh, about yourself. Well, I've had a couple different careers. I started out with an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business in 1977, which is about long enough ago that I don't remember anything. 
But uh, I did spend 20 years as a PNL leader at McGraw Hill and at the Reuters Group, uh, both multinationals in the UK and New York and Chicago. And in the last 20 years, I've been in the information and professional services businesses, uh, a number of companies backed by venture capital and private equity firms as the, uh, the CEO or COO in those companies. Oh, the shirts and sing. Uh, I'm also an ex McGraw Hiller, so uh, we have something in common. Um, uh, you know, it's a, uh, I'm, I'm going to go sideways for a moment, if I may, and talk about uh, that was an organization that was more family than any other corporation I've ever heard of. And, and people still talk about it fondly. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way. It was a good organization overall for, we had sold our company to it. So it was an econometric consulting firm and it was huh. an okay parent. It wasn't the best parent in the world, but an okay parent. Okay. Now tell us about respect. What is it and what's unique about it? Okay. Well, respect is a elder care company. So we provide caregivers for folks that want to stay living in their homes. And the unique thing that we do, First is we really focus on the quality issues. So the biggest thing that we're concerned about is making sure that we have great caregivers. And we, we recruit um, about, we actually hire about one out of every 25 that, we re, that uh, applies, which means we're about twice as selective as our competitors, which is a, it makes life a little tougher trying to find good people and trying to hire people, but we'd rather do that than hire someone that is not going to be great and wouldn't be someone that I'd want in my home or my parents' home. Uh, the second thing that we've done is we invested pretty heavily in a mobile app and technology to give our clients the ability to basically see the caregiver up front. So in most agencies, you're going to get whoever's up next in the batter circle. We give you a choice of caregivers based on what your needs are. And that's kind of unique in that we give the, the client can look at the skills and training and background. They can look at how other clients have rated the caregiver. And they can even see a video, a couple of minutes of high-definition video of the caregiver to get a feel for who are they. Uh, then the other thing that we did that really is unique is the ability to, for the family to be, stay connected with the caregiver and with their loved one. So let's say that if uh, you know your mom had had a caregiver come in this morning at 10:30, but you're on the radio and obviously you can't pay attention to it quite as closely, you could use our mobile app and literally see like an Uber car that caregiver going towards your mom's home. So you'd have that really level of comfort that the caregiver really is going to be there, and that's that's really critically important. And then the second thing is whether you live next door to your mom or across the country, you can you get a daily report electronically through the app of what the caregiver did for the day and how your mom is doing. So it just keeps everyone much more connected and we think that's really critically important. Hmm. Um, and what what is unique about your, um, I, I hear that, but um, why did you, start this and what what's unique about it that, that makes it uh, the, the reason you're on this program is because people have told me it, you you have a really terrific service 
but I want the audience to know about it. Right. Well, we we really got started in it, looking at kind of looking at through the looking through the lens of having lived through the experience of taking care of my parents, my in-laws, uh, and my partner taking care of his grandfather, and finding that the experience was not smooth. It was very difficult to find good caregivers and to stay connected. So we really became convinced that we could reimagine the elder care experience by providing clients greater transparency in the, that caregiver selection process. So we give parents a, clients a curated choice of caregivers based on their needs. And that's pretty unique. Uh, that the ability to provide more communication between the caregiver, client, and family is also unique. That in most agencies, at best, you're going to have a spiral-bound notebook sitting on your mom's end table. And if you happen to live nearby, you might be able to read it if you can read the handwriting. Uh, and we do that in just a much more structured way, and obviously it's, it's clearly easy to read because it is electronic, and you can, uh, there's no, no reading through someone else's bad handwriting. Uh, and then finally, we just give caregivers a better work environment. We think that's a critical piece as well. We pay our caregivers about 20 to 25% more than uh, our competitors do. And we can do that because we've built a lot of efficiencies into the, uh, the system that we've built, that we designed. Well, how, um, what are some of the questions you ask um, uh, potential clients, and, uh, and what are some of the things they should be asking you? Good questions, good questions. So we start out with a, we call a case assessment. We have a nurse that will come and visit the client and do about a half an hour case assessment. And they're really going through you know, all the different factors that lead into you know, the client needing care. So they're covering, you know, are, have they fallen recently? Uh, you know, what's their general health? What medicines are they on? We really want to know a fair amount about that client so that our caregivers can do a great job of taking care of them. Uh, you know, other kind of things that we, we explore is what, what are the family dynamics and how can we help that family you know, become more connected to the care that their loved one is going to be, needs and is going to get. Uh, on the other side, what clients should ask of not just us but anybody uh, first is get to know how they select their caregivers. What process do they really run through? Uh, we go through a seven-year criminal background history check for every county they've lived in. We do a full drug and alcohol screen. We do random drug and alcohol screens. where We literally pick a name out of a hat, and we'll do a drug and alcohol screen to keep folks on their toes and make sure that uh, caregivers are on the straight and narrow. Uh, they should also ask, you know, what kind of contracts do you have? We have basically a two-hour commitment, and that's it. So if you want a caregiver for tomorrow morning for two hours, you can get a caregiver for two hours tomorrow morning and have no other obligation, no other cost. Uh, so that's, that's a critical piece because a lot of times you'll get hooked into a longer-term arrangement that you may really not want. So those are, are kind of touchstones that uh, clients should be looking for. What do you look for in terms of employees? Uh, that, that's an easy question. We look for, I guess the, the easiest way to answer it is someone that we would like to have in our house or our parents' home. So we're looking for people that are, are responsible. Uh, for example, we reject caregivers during the interview process and the onboarding process if they show up late for an interview. We look for people that are going to be compassionate about what they do. 
So, for example, if during the classes that we run for our caregivers before they start, if they're sitting there playing with their smartphone, we think they're not very compassionate and not really focused on what they're doing. So we'll reject them as well. Um, the other things that we look for are people that have good training. About 85% of our caregivers are certified nursing assistants. 100% of them have experience because working at uh, someone else's home alone is very different than working in a hospital or a nursing home environment. And it's a different kind of a job. So we want to make sure that they know what they're getting into and they like it, they enjoy it. Well, you know, it's very interesting. I had my father, um, this is many years ago, uh, and, and I had to find a home health aide. And I was very fortunate to find uh, a one who not only uh, was very good, but spoke Italian. Do you, uh, uh, I guess, I don't know, do you have that problem? Um, no, not problem, let's say opportunity. I mean, where you have older generation with the language uh, differences, or is that not um, in this day and age as important? No, we, we do have that on occasion, and one of the things that we do is the video that we shoot for each one of our, uh, our caregivers. It's about a two-minute video that is done by a professional videographer. At the end of that video, if they speak a foreign language, we tag on another anywhere from 15 to 30 seconds of them speaking that language. Uh, and it's not called for that frequently, but when it is, the clients can get a clear idea of, does this person speak, you know, have, have they had one year in high school? Or are they a native speaker and they're fluent? And you know, can my my grandmother or grandfather or you know, whoever understand them well and communicate well? Hmm. Yeah, you're in very much uh, of a of um, a, a business that's very heavily weighted on the interpersonal side. Uh, do you see some of the issues? Um, uh, are, are, well, I will rephrase the question. Are there issues dealing with, uh, with essentially uh, such a personal um, uh, business? And, and how do you overcome them? Uh, there certainly are issues. And what, one of the biggest ways we overcome it is by really making sure that there's a great personality fit between the client and the caregiver on both sides. So, that's, for example, the clients, clients for a long-term engagement will typically interview the caregivers, their family will interview the caregivers, so they get a really good feel for who is this person I'm asking in my home. Uh, we'll also give them, if they want to do a trial run, we'll give them two hours of totally free service, no cost, no obligation on their side, to test out a caregiver to make sure that there's a good fit. On the other side, there's, also, you know, there's two sides to that equation, is the caregivers have to get along with the clients as well. So we try to match them for interest, uh, for example, we've got one client that loves playing Scrabble. We happen to have a caregiver that likes playing word games. We put the two of them together because everything else was a good fit. And that client has actually asked for that caregiver to come more days a week because they've really formed a friendship, which is a nice thing. Um, the caregivers also have the opportunity to look at a job and say, you know what, I don't want that job. So they have more control over their lives. And it gives you a caregiver that at the end of the day, when they show up at that front door, they're there because they want to be, not because, as we hear these horror stories every so often where a caregiver is told, either you drive 50 miles you know, to wherever for this client and be there tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, or you're not going to work for us anymore. 
that doesn't lead to happy caregivers. It doesn't lead to good relationships between caregivers and clients. So we really spend a lot of time and a lot of attention on that. We also survey our clients to see, you know, on a regular basis to see are they, they happy with the, uh, the caregiver. Um, so, so far, we've you're location-based. Where are you located, and uh, what are your expansion plans? We're located in Chicago. We're located in the West Loop. We're located. We have an office in Riverwoods in the North Shore, and we have an office in the Milwaukee area in, uh, in Wauwatosa. And our expansion uh, plans are to keep expanding in the Chicago market and the Wisconsin market, and then look at the, the Midwest is really kind of where we're focused on. Do you plan to franchise or are you going to make it a, a, all corporate business? Uh, at this point, we're really not focused on franchising at all. Uh, we'd like to, like to believe that we can continue building an organization. For example, we have a good, a solid manager in Milwaukee uh, who does a great job of running the, the uh, office there as if it were his own business. But you know, I still get involved heavily. Uh, I'm up there once or twice a month at a minimum and know a lot of the clients, know a lot of the other folks in the marketplace. And being able to really have hands-on control, we think, ensures higher quality across the board. You don't get – sometimes – I don't want to paint anybody with a, with a brush here, but sometimes franchises do have uneven quality or so we've been told. Yes. Um, uh, 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 the name of your company again, your, your website, and how people can reach you? Sure. The name of the company is Respect Care. Uh, the website is joinrespect.com. That's J-O-I-N-R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Uh, and uh, they can either visit us on the website or they can call us at 888-330-5401. Well, uh, we have a couple of more minutes, and, and I, I'm fascinated. Uh, what, what have been? Um, uh, let me ask you this question: How do you? Uh, how do you ensure um, uh, your 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 uh, people? Do you, or I should ask, do you ensure them? And 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 how, uh, and how do you deal with problems if they arise? On the insurance side, we are we have a good risk manager. Uh, we have a lot of professional liability policies up to three million, and we have uh, uh, theft policies up to a million, and auto insurance policies that pick up where the caregiver's insurance leaves off and brings that that coverage up to a million dollars as well. So we've got very good risk management, and we're well covered on that side. Uh, to be honest, so far we've not had any any issues where insurance has needed to be called into play. Um, if if it should have if we should have an issue, I mean we're we're always focused on communicating with clients on a fairly 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 regular basis, just dropping in and visiting a client, visiting a client and the caregiver to make sure things are going smoothly. And so far that has kept us uh, in in pretty good stead. You know, you're you're in you're in an area that's that, uh, according to uh, a futurist we had on the program last week, is is going to literally explode over the next uh, um, uh, decade. Uh, uh, elder care, et cetera, if it hasn't already. Um, 
I guess my, my, my last question might be, um, where do you see the uh, elder care going in, in the future? And um, how, how can the audience prepare for it? Well, if you look at the numbers, the, you know, the over 65 community is expanding very rapidly, basically doubling over the next uh, 15 or 20 years. And there are 10,000 new, 10,000 people turning 65 every day for the next 19, 20 years in this country. So there's simply not enough capital, not enough, not enough building going on to build retirement communities for that many folks. And it's just not economical. Plus, people would prefer to live in their house. About 90% of people, when surveyed, say they would prefer to age in place. Uh, so we think the trend is going to continue to be a real focus on uh, in-home care and also using technology more and more in in-home care. I mean, we're using technology right now with our mobile app. Uh, we're using technology certainly through our website, joinrespect.com. Uh, we're also exploring you know, the Internet of Things and how we, we're starting to, to test devices that will help us on that side as well and just keep continuing improving the quality of care. We've been talking with Bruce Masterson. He's co-founder and CEO of Request, a, a service, a service reimagining home care and helping seniors age gracefully. Bruce, thank you so much for being with us. I know I learned a lot and I hope our audience did as well. Thank you. Don, thank you very much. Love your show. Our next guest is Jenny Gilbert. She's a author of a re remarkable book. That's the only words I can use. It's called Re-Market, New Digital Techniques um, uh, uh, for Independent Retailers. Jenny, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Don. I'm delighted to be here. Well, um, I've been, uh, uh, for, for the audience, uh, I've asked her to do three different times, and Jenny has been very, uh, to come on the program, has been very flexible, which we appreciate. Uh, uh, and I have to tell you, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Jenny, we always start each guest with a question, a little bit about their personal background before we go into anything else. Please tell us a little oh, bit about well. yourself. Oh, I'd love to. Um, it's a little bit of a funny story because it really is a lucky fumble that I ended up here at Retailer Web Services and doing what I do. I definitely started on a very different path. Um, I went to school for and became a board-certified music therapist. And after being a clinician for a while, my brother who owned a little lifestyle software as a service business that he ran himself, asked if I would be interested in taking a little break before I went back to graduate school and help him with the business for a bit. He wanted to move it from New York to Arizona. And he was very clear to tell me, Don, that uh, I very well might run out of things to do before those couple months were up. <laughs> that was 11 years ago this October, and I could tell you I have never run out of things to do yet and the two of us have <laughs> built the business from just us to about 60 employees and we are so lucky to serve about 2,000 
other small businesses across the U.S. today. And what do you do? So our firm you know, exists. So Retailer Web Services, we exist to serve small independent retailers that sell appliances, furniture, and mattresses. And we exist to help them realize the promise that technology has to help their businesses grow and compete. And we do that through a variety of uh, web and digital marketing services. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, our audience has, hasn't had the um, uh, uh, adventure of reading your book. Uh, what is your website so people uh, will, will, can get to it quickly? Sure. Our, re our website is retailerwebservices.com, and you can click on our books in the upper right-hand corner to get to our new book or uh, our previous one as well. Okay. So, so your, your book is all about uh, new digital techniques for independent retailers. Now, they are under a real pressure because they're competing with the big boxes and, and stores. They have limited budgets, and they depend on people like you. So tell us some of the things that that, that you, uh, you tell your your retailers and that people should know. You know, it used to be, John, that you know a small business could go online and they could look at the website of their competitors, or they could study the advertising of businesses they admire, and they could learn about the strategies they were using and employ the same ones. But as technology has gotten more and more sophisticated, it becomes harder and harder to see these things on the surface. You know, how did Nordstrom's know to send me an email with that exact pair of shoes in it? So those are the types of education that we're trying to bring to small businesses because you can't really see them on the surface anymore. So this book is all about helping them learn about those advanced techniques, which they really can use if they find the right partners to help them implement. Keep going. You're on a roll. <laughs> uh, well, make sure to shut me up, Don, if I talk too long, because I could get on my soapbox and keep going all day. Uh, so, we want you to. You know, You're the guest. Please talk. <laughs> Well, you know, it's so interesting. I talk to small business owners all day, every day, and I hear so often that there's this fear that the new technology out there is going to be a barrier, that it is inaccessible to them. It's something their giant competitors can use, but they could not possibly ever afford to implement themselves. And I can understand that fear because for almost all small business owners, Technology is not their area of expertise. This is widely outside of their comfort zone. But one of the best pieces of advice that I can give to small business owners anywhere is that, in fact, although technology can be intimidating, it is also one of the great equalizers that has risen up over the last several years. Think about some specific things, for example. Uh, compare the cost of expanding the 
amount of merchandise that you show online on your website versus the cost of moving into a larger showroom. <laughs> and when you start to think about those examples, you can see how there is opportunity out there to use technology to your advantage and take advantage of the same techniques that the big competitors are using and win. The key, though, is that most small businesses, you can't really take that challenge on yourself. You, know, you don't have an IT team full of software developers or millions of dollars in your budget to develop these things. And instead, what they have to do is you know, learn about them and recognize what's out there and working, and then seek out good technology partners that have put in that R&D and that investment in making great products, and they can participate in using them for you know, a very small subscription fee. And the good news is that's not hard to find. I mean, that is the resounding model in technology today, that software as a service model, where companies put huge investments into making great products like that, and then other businesses can use them by paying a very small subscription. So I completely understand the fear that comes along with trying to incorporate new technology, and I encourage small businesses everywhere to try to shift that feeling a little bit and look at it from the other angle. There's incredible opportunity that is just ready for the taking for those that are willing to think outside the box and try something new. Don, does that echo what you've heard from small businesses as well? Has that been your experience? Can you hear me? Oh, I can now, Don. Do you hear me now? I can Jenny, hear do you, you now, hear Don. me? You can? Yes. Okay. Sorry, um, my microphone went on and off. I, I wanted to give you a plug. We're talking with Jenny Gilbert. She's author of Re. Dash Market, a new book on how digital technologies and, and independent um, retailers can use can use now um, uh, to to better compete. Uh, and you were, and you asked me a question, Jenny. What was the question? I was curious, Don, if in your interactions with small businesses, you had heard some of the same fears, worry that the technology their competitors were using, especially, especially the large ones, was really a barrier that they couldn't incorporate themselves. Uh, ab absolutely. All, all the time we, we run into it. The, the problems, uh, in fact, uh, we've seen studies that indicate really less than 25% of uh, small businesses really understand and uh, uh, evaluate what their what their uh, uh, online and social media does, and that um, uh, there's still a, a, a feeling that a majority of smaller businesses do not use social media to the extent that they can use it, even with a limited budget. What do you think about that? That stat makes a lot of sense to me and doesn't surprise me. Um, other than, you know, it, it is a shame because compared to so many of the traditional advertising methods that have been available to small businesses, 
there's so much more data that you can actually get back from digital marketing techniques. You know, you have no idea how many people actually saw your advertisement in the newspaper, but you absolutely know how many people saw your promoted posts on Facebook. And even with that data available, I find, as you've mentioned, that a lot of small business owners, they don't necessarily know exactly what to do with that information. And so they are left with that feeling of unease. How well is this working for me? Uh, that's actually a big part of why in our new book we have a whole chapter on analytics and how you can specifically uh, use those and dig into them to help you understand how successful or not successful a campaign was and what you might be able to do differently in the future. Hmm. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, l l let's take a furniture retailer, which I know just enough about to be dangerous. And um, the, the, at one point, I, uh, the, um, having uh, covered the furniture marts in North Carolina, et cetera, years ago, um, mm -hmm. uh, furniture, the neighborhood furniture store was, um, was uh, a part of American, Americana, but, but they're, uh, they're very limited, relatively speaking, limited today. And that uh, the chain, chains are, are, are taking over. How does a, 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 a local retailer, a furniture retailer, um, separate him or herself from the crowd on the social media? Can you give us an example? Yeah, what a great question, Don. Um, I love furniture retailers, some of the nicest people I've ever met own uh, beautiful furniture stores that serve their local community. And there's a lot of opportunity out there for furniture retailers. I think that the first thing that a furniture retailer needs to understand is that you know, they do not operate their business in a vacuum. And their consumers, their prospects, have been heavily influenced by their shopping experience with other retailers like Amazon. And they have certain expectations now of every business they come in contact with, <laughs> whether it's a big, giant corporation like that or it's their local furniture store where they want to buy a new living room set. And so understanding that the furniture store's business, really, their goal is to try to do everything possible to make interacting with them and researching buying from them and shopping from them and eventually purchasing from them as convenient and as pleasant an experience available on any device the retailer chooses as it would be if uh, the consumer was shopping with uh, a giant. So there are lots of things that they can do, like reaching out, putting information on their Facebook page about promotions that they have coming up, uh, following up personally with people who've been on their site and entered their email address. Making sure that they are telling people on their website what products they can come in and see today versus those that would be special ordered. Those are not giant tasks that are impossible to execute. They're very well within the realm of possibility for every independently owned furniture store. It just takes thinking about the prospect and thinking about your digital experience with them the exact same way they already think about what the experience is like inside their store. 
making sure that uh, in the digital world, they're just as helpful as their expert salespeople are inside the store. Does that make sense, Don? Hmm. Very, very much so. We're, we're talking with Jenny Gilbert. She's an author of a book, Re-Market, uh, New Digital Techniques for uh, for retailing retailers it's it's a fascinating book i recommend it to any retailer and for that matter anybody that's interested on the uh, on it we uh, our, we have our next guest waiting online and jenny i was wondering if you uh, might uh, stay on our, our next guest has a very unusual company which i'm going to ask her to talk about and then um, uh, if you want to chime in, I'd, I'd love for you to uh, join, chime in. Would you consider it? It would be my pleasure. Okay. Our next guest, uh, welcome to the show. I'm going to let you introduce yourself um, and welcome to the show. Hello there. Are you in game? Hello. Well, yes. How are you? Hi. I'm good. How are you? I'm sorry. I probably tossed you a curve, but uh, but I, I wanted you to introduce yourself because you have such an unusual company, and uh, um, and I wanted you to tell tell our audience in your own elevator pitch who you are and your company. Um, hi, I'm the owner of amiclubware.com. It is the number one, sexiest, biggest clubware and clothing website in the world. Well, tell us a little bit more. How to, well, the first question is a little bit of about your, your background. Tell us a little bit about your background before we go into anything else. Um, my background is I grew up in Beijing, China, and then I went to um, UK in Cambridge um, for my master's degree. And after that, I came to the United States and started my own company. AMI what made? Uh, and uh, what made you found the company, and how did you come up with the with the uh, idea for the company? Um, I started the company on eBay because there are some styles of shoes that I can't find anywhere um, in the stores. Um, and those styles are very fancy and only, you can only see those on celebrities, but the celebrity styles are so expensive that mm, no normal, regular people can afford them. So I was, I was really, uh, I looked for them everywhere and I found some of those and I started selling on eBay. Uh, and started from selling one pair a day to a hundred pairs a day in just one month. And then now I'm here maybe mm, selling 5,000 
styles every day. The reason you're on this program is that everybody tells me you, uh, you have a, a unique approach to, to getting your customers uh, and being online. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, unique approach? Whether it's your um, style? Whether it's the clothes, your uh, what is it that makes you so unique to make you one of the largest in the world, if not the largest? Mm, we have a really big presence on social media. We have uh, half a million followers on Instagram, uh, around a million followers on Facebook. And we have thousands of videos on YouTube that people talk about our products. Um, we have celebrities wearing our stuff in reality shows and on uh, red carpets. And we have how did you aggregate the million? How, yeah. how did you aggregate the million um, followers? It's um, I guess people like our styles. When we post something, people have really good reactions, and they they like to follow our page. They like to they see what they see and they really like it, and they think they can learn something from the outfits and the the idea that we put together. Uh, hmm. Okay. Uh, Jenny, I'm going to ask you. If I ask a question? Yes. Of course. That's what I was just going to ask you. <laughs> Go ahead. I must have been reading your mind. Uh, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Uh, my name is Jenny, and uh, what a great business it is that you're running. I love what you were saying about how you have such a following in social media where people are learning from you, and then they're seeing other people unassociated with your company or your brand talking about and wearing your beautiful things. Um, mm -hmm. It speaks to me so much of the, about the democratization of trust out there and how much consumers are interested in what other people think about products as opposed to the you know, more traditional experts in an area like the brands themselves. Um, how have you seen people's uh, interaction outside of your website and things that you control help uh, you know, kind of propel your product and make more people want to buy it? Have you seen a lot of people leave reviews or you know, add it, reshare or repost things that you've had that you've put out there? Yes, we do. Um, we, I think every month we have about 5,000 bloggers that share what they get from us on their blogs and their websites. We get a lot of links from them. Um, and also people wear our stuff and post on Instagram, social, uh, Facebook, and other social media. And we never, pay any, we never pay any people to post uh, on social media like the other companies. 
we just let them post their real and honest opinions. And I think people like that. You have an extraordinary, uh, Yang Yang, your site again? My website? Yes. AMI. Yes. AMI. Clubwear.com. Hmm. Can you spell it out for our radio audience? It's AMI. C-L-U-B-W-E-A-R.com. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, several people just uh, nominated you for this program. Well, we're getting close to the end. Uh, what have been the three biggest issues you've, you've faced growing your company? The biggest mm, issue? Um... Sometimes we grow too fast for ourselves. Uh, like this year, Black Friday, we had so much traffic on the website that the website started to load slow uh, and almost crashed. And it was really sad when I got text messages from my friends telling me that the website is not working. But luckily, we have good programmers, and they got the website back up in half an hour. That's a nice, that's a nice problem to have, don't you think, Jenny? <laughs> well, not during that half an hour, Don, but <laughs> the increased traffic is, is wonderful. But, yeah, that is, uh, it is something that you have to keep in mind about with all those great successes comes, you know, the burden of being able to always support them and continue to grow on them. So I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you were able to get that fixed quickly. Thank you. Um, what's, what's, the, what's one more thing? Um, what is the one single thing you would tell um, our audience? Uh, three out of every four, five uh, of our audience are owners and or presidents. What would you tell them? Uh, is is a secret of success in your view? Mm, secret to success? Just uh, one point? Or two, do whatever you think. To balance your business and your family life. Make sure <laughs> you don't work too hard, spend time with your family spend time with your kids and yes, make your family happy. I have two little kids, so mm -hmm. I always make sure I spend time with them. Jenny, uh, we're going to, uh, uh, what, what, what's the single thing you'd say is important to success? The best piece of advice that I could give to any small business owner, you know, striving to grow and become as successful as possible, would be to, above all else, be a proactive participant in everything, uh, every challenge that comes your way. You know, it can be tempting to stick your head in the sand when you're overwhelmed, but the best outcomes come when you're facing a problem head on 
and you learn as much as you can about the subject matter. You seek out other people that can help you distill the facts and come up with a plan, and you become the most active part that you can in understanding the challenge and turning the challenge into a great opportunity. So, you know, take heart. There's so much help out there. There's so many wonderful business books and great coaches and people that can help you. Every challenge that comes your way is an incredible opportunity that you can turn into maybe the best thing that ever happened to your business. That's great advice. Yang Gang and Jenny, yes. thank you so much. Both of you, thank you so much for joining us and making uh, this part of the program one of the most interesting ones I've had in quite a while. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. It's such for a having pleasure. Us. Yeah, thank no, you very much really for having is. us on. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with other guests invited to help you, our audience, improve operations, expand marketing, reduce cost, enable better personnel management, and add profits. Remember, all of our shows are archived at www.blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. You can hear this show and all others at your leisure. If you like the show, tell others about it. Want to make a comment or be a guest? Email us at editor at is-incorp.com. Your host was Don Mazella, Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Until next time, keep faith with the ideals that made America great. And remember, small business is still the backbone of commerce. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.